And welcome back, everyone, to Anthropology Then and Now, the podcast where your favorite anthropology students talk to other anthropology students about their favorite anthropologists, their work then, and how it is being applied to life and anthropology now. I'm your host, Maui. And I'm your host, Cato. And joining us today, we have Maritza and Jessica, both CSU San Marcos students ready to talk about Pierre Bardieu. Jessica, do you, do you mind starting us off? Hey, guys. I would be happy to start. First, let's go over his background a bit. Bourdieu was born on August 1st, 1930 in the southwest part of France, a very rural area. Pierre had modest beginnings, including being the only child to to a poor postman. And this influenced him to become sensitive to the issues of power and class in France. Bourdieu did well in school and got his degree in philosophy, along with Louis Althusser. After that, he started teaching in 1955 at a high school in Moulins until he eventually became the director of studies at the School for Advanced Studies in the Social Sciences in Paris in 1964. If I am not correct, this is where he really started to make his impact on anthropology, correct? That is correct, Cato. This is where Bourdieu founded the Center for the Sociology of Education and Culture. At that time, anthropology was dominated by Lévi-Strauss and Sartre, and Bourdieu's work was influenced by Durkheim, Elias, Weber, Maus, and many others. He continued teaching at the research center until his death from cancer in 2002 and was survived by his wife and three kids. That's so sad. He might have died, but he left an ever-changing impact on anthropology. That's right, Maui, and I would like to dive into the Habitus theory that he was best known for. That would be wonderful. Go right ahead. I know our audience taste of art and social class positions. The higher class citizens were more exposed to finer art pieces and were trained from an early age to appreciate it due to being an upper class individual. The lower class or the working class did not have access to high art, so they did not cultivate the habitus of fine art as the upper class individuals did. Thank you, Jessica. The habitus theory is very interesting because sometimes you hear that people are naturally disposed to finer things in life, but others are not. Maritza, what do you think about this saying? I agree exactly. Bordeaux also talks about how people believe that this was natural instead of it being culturally developed, which I believe justifies social inequality in the social world. Anyone can be taught to love and enjoy the finer things in life when exposed to them, and anyone can be totally fine without those things when they grow up without them. Yeah, the happiness theory is really interesting in a way that it shows how our societies work. Let's talk more about some of Bordeaux's work. Yeah, I'd be glad to. So Bourdieu's work was heavily influenced by other anthropologists. I believe one of the anthropologists is Weber, if I'm not correct. That's right. Bourdieu talks about Weber and his theory on symbolic systems in class analysis and the boundaries between class. So I believe he talks about Weber's class and social groups. What else does he say? So Bourdieu goes on to talk about how Weber, who opposes class and status groups, he states that the two types of real unities which would come together more or less frequently according to the type of society. However, to give Weberian analysis all of their force and impact, it is necessary to see them instead as nomial unities, which are always the result of a choice to accent the economic aspect or the symbolic aspect, which always coexists in the same reality. Bordeaux's use of Weber's theories of class and status by the distinction between the economic and symbolic aspects that exist in society. So we heard about another theory that is also connected to habitus. What can you tell us about that? 
Culture capital has a lot of positives that it seems many people have with themselves. So more in connection to the habitus, what other ways we can touch on it? Cultural capital references the way people interact and think about the world. While there are many people that inhibit these, many are more balanced with only two of the three that are stronger than the third. For example, if you grow up in a society that is valuing sciences and mathematics, it is easier to be connected to an institutionalized environment, such as a strict school, but by being strong in one, it means that they will lack one of the other sections. And this is true for most people. Were there any other theories connected to the habitus theory? Yes, Bourdieu's theory of symbolic violence is also connected to habitus. Bourdieu defines symbolic violence as the violence which is exercised upon a social agent with his or her complicity. Meaning that when an ideology such as racial or gender inequality is forced on individuals by the group with power, individuals internalize the ideology as natural. By internalizing these ideas, social dominance is legitimized and the inequality becomes normal. So symbolic violence is when individuals accept that this is just the way things are. Can you give me an example? Yeah, so when someone has internalized those ideas, they believe that that's their role in society. Bourdieu wrote about masculine domination as an example of symbolic violence. The idea is subtle in our daily lives, but it determines gender roles and really shapes our social structures. So now that we've discussed Bordeaux's theories, we should start discussing his impact on anthropology, because I heard he made quite the dent. Jessica, what has Bordeaux inspired other anthropologists? Bordeaux's main contributions to anthropology were his discussions of power in society. Reduce theories of habitus and symbolic violence, as well as his view of the relationship between structure and agency, influenced further studies, such as in post-structural anthropology and the application of these theories to contemporary social issues. You said that Bourdieu inspired post-structuralism. Can you explain how, how his ideas inspired this theory? Structuralism in anthropology theorizes that there are universal tendencies, or structures that have different cultural manifestations. Critics of structuralism thought the theory was too mechanical and did not provide enough context to culture, which inspired post-structuralists who deconstruct the idea of universal structures set forth by structural theorists. But couldn't Bordeaux be considered a structuralist? Yeah, while Bourdieu was considered a structuralist, his approach differed from other structuralists at the time, who didn't look at individual actions as part of the system. While Bourdieu analyzed large structures to understand society, he also understood that structure was dependent on individual actions. Very good. Structure is indeed dependent on individual actions. It's almost like how people say, you're only as good as your weakest player, going to show that each person has an impact. I couldn't agree more. And with that, I think it'll be a good time to wrap up so that the torch can be passed on to another anthropologist next week. Sounds good to me. Jessica, Maritza, thank you so much for coming here today, sharing with us your favorite anthropologists. Bourdieu was a great anthropologist who died too soon, but his impact will be remembered forever. Happy to be here, guys. It was a pleasure. Same here. You guys were great. If you need us again, we'd be happy to come back. Perfect. Thank you. Well, that's it for today's episode of Anthropology Then and Now about the theories and impacts of Pierre Bordeaux. I'm your host, Maui. And I'm your host, Cato. Catch us next week as we talk about emerging anthropologists, Dr. Lorette McGuire, and what her lectures have done for anthropology students of CSU San Marcos. See you then.